Welcome to HealthCast. I'm your host, Faith Ryan. As the COVID-19 pandemic unfolds, researchers have found that the disease not only harms the respiratory tract, but can also negatively affect the entire nervous system. Some patients have reported, for instance, a loss of taste and smell, and have even experienced seizures due to the virus. These findings raise important questions, such as how long do these symptoms last? What are the more severe long-term health consequences caused by the virus? And how can we better prevent or treat them? At the forefront of leading global efforts to understand this disease is the National Heart, Lung, and Blood Institute, part of the National Institutes of Health. The agency received $103.4 million in funding from the CARES Act, which was passed by Congress earlier this year, to support the agency's work and answer these unsolved questions. Today, I'm joined with Alistair Thompson, the CIO of the agency, to learn more about the data, technology, and research initiatives driving this work. Alistair, welcome to the show. Hey, good morning, Faith. It's great to be here. Good morning. Yeah, it's great to have you on. Thanks so much for joining me. So let's just jump right into the questions. How has COVID-19 impacted the agency's health research priorities? Obviously, it's been a massive impact to us. And I think particularly in the last several months, as our understanding of the virus has evolved, back in January, we all thought, well, it's a respiratory virus. It's a severe respiratory virus, but it's a respiratory virus. And what we're learning is that it's so much more than that. There are going to be long-term health consequences for people. And I think you're hearing in the news now about people who are having consequences months after they were infected. And so there's a, it shifted a lot of our research priorities. Uh, and thanks to the CARES Act, you know, Congress gave us a substantial amount of funding to pursue this while we continue with our other research. But it stimulated a lot of really interesting work in a variety of ways, whether it's the trials for treatments that we're running uh, along with the rest of NIH or it's the IT-related things, the machine learning and other methods for understanding what's happening to people's health. NHLBI is collaborating with a lot of different agencies across NIH right now. Like you'd mentioned, the most notable large-scale initiative would probably be ACTIVE, or the Accelerating COVID-19 Therapeutic Interventions and Vaccine Initiative. Could you describe how the agency is leveraging its resources or its tech resources to support programs like the specifically designed for COVID? So we've got several studies that we're, we've been working on, including one of the active studies, the Accelerating COVID-19 Therapeutic Interventions and Vaccines, which we're working with various others around NIH and, and actually other agencies. This is actually funded as part of Operation Warp Speed from the Department of Health and Human Services. And we're working to look at a variety of treatments and therapeutic interventions for COVID at various points in the disease. We're also uh, running a critical study we call C3PO, which is about convalescent plasma and treating outpatients. There's, no one's done a study, a really rigorous study like this before. And so the idea is that, you know, before people get critical and they're in the ICU, which is where most of the treatment because of convalescent plasma is occurring, what happens if we treat people when they're outpatients, when they've just got the first signs of COVID? Can convalescent plasma really help? And so this is a rapidly progressing trial that we're hoping will give us some definitive answers about the effectiveness of it. We've also just completed our ORCID trial in hydroxychloroquine. And this is one particular interest to me because the data obviously is great interest to the public. And we're working very hard at the moment to make that data, the research data available broadly to the research community so that people go and look at it and understand what the results of that study really said. 
Last month, we had the pleasure of hearing you speak at our AI New Horizons in Medicine virtual event with other NIH panelists. And you talked about another thing connected to COVID-19 research, Biodata Catalyst, which is a database for research for blood, you know, sleep studies, all of the things that your agency handles. Could you go into more detail about what this database is for our listeners and the emerging technologies involved to accelerate this research? So the Biodata Catalyst is much more than just a database. It's a a cloud-based ecosystem, and it provides tools, applications, and workflows for data science in secure cloud-based workspaces. It's a dynamic resource, and it allows researchers to find, access, share, store, and compute on large-scale data sets. We've got some enormous data sets in the TopMed program, for instance, almost three petabytes of data. And the only way you can work with that data is in the cloud. And so Biodata Catalyst is the tool that we're using to make it available and really accelerate efficient biomedical research that can drive discovery and scientific advancements. And in the end, lead into novel diagnostic tools, therapeutics, and prevention strategies for heart, lung, blood, and sleep disorders. This is also becoming a critical part of our COVID-19 response because all of the data that is being gathered from our clinical trials, from electronic health records, from a variety of other places, we're going to be making available to the research community in Biodata Catalyst. It's also going to have a significant role in our response to the multi-system inflammatory syndrome in children, the Kawasaki disease-like syndrome that we've seen, where we're working with the National Institute of Child Health and Development and National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases to really understand this. It's a very unusual kind of disease and relatively rare. But we're working hard with those other institutes to collect data on these MISC patients, bring it together and enable researchers to begin to understand what is actually happening in this. They'll be working with genomic data. They're going to be getting genomic sequences from the the kids and also looking at sort of the core biological mechanisms within them that are prompting this to happen to see if we can understand it and then provide some treatments. This is advancing extremely rapidly, and I've just been really pleased with our colleagues from across NIH and other agencies that are working with us on this, because this is obviously something that's of real concern to parents. You know, with all of, you know, what's going on with schools and whether or not to reopen or open and wearing masks, it's very scary for parents. So this work is super important. Going back to artificial intelligence, are there other examples of automation being used to push research during this time? So there's a lot of research happening using artificial intelligence and particularly machine learning around imaging that comes from COVID patients, whether it's chest X-rays or chest CTs. One of the early results that was discovered was this issue of clotting, uh, blood clotting with COVID that was really identified in a couple of ways. One of those was using a machine learning model on chest CT images of patients in the ICU. And the machine learning was able to identify there was something unusual going on that they could dig into. And they found this microclotting and other things that are occurring. Within Biodata Catalyst program, we've had a group who've been working on COPD using similar deep learning techniques and CT imaging. Interestingly, there's in COPD, there are vascular changes which are somewhat similar to what you see in the vascular remodeling that's been observed in COVID. And so that team is working on adapting their deep learning model to work with COVID images instead of COPD. And we're looking forward to see what they come up with. But that's the kind of thing that we're seeing throughout the response to COVID. People are are looking at mechanisms that they've used before 
and they're reapplying them in novel ways to help us understand this disease. On a similar note, the agency launched a collaborative network to basically build on existing clinical research networks to understand you know, the risk of severe illness from COVID-19 and to basically, I guess, find treatment methods to slow the disease or help with patients recovering from it. It's called Connex. Do you think you could explain more about this program and other similar efforts to connect clinical research together? Connect is looking at a whole variety of different treatments that follow that kind of paradigm with a variety of, of drugs. And it's working through some of the networks that we've already had established for research, including our petal network, which is in ICUs and has been about acute lung disease, and the siren network, which again is an emergency medicine. But there are other networks. We're bringing together all of the clinical trial networks across NIH, whether they're run by uh, NIAID or whether they're run by NHLBI or someone else, to really enable us to do clinical trials at a pace that we've never done them before while assuring that the treatments that we're working with are safe and effective. There must be many funding opportunities for current investigators who are wanting to leverage you know, their existing research projects to help better understand the virus. Do you know how researchers can get involved with what the agency is doing at this time? The NIH guide, which if you Google it, you will find it pretty easily, has a whole variety of notices of special interests and announcements of grant programs, all related to COVID. And we really encourage researchers to go and look at the guide because they will show really where we've got interest in funding research. This has been one of our primary mechanisms for getting funding out to researchers across the country is these notices of special interest. And we've turned some of them around very, very quickly as we've people brought in innovative ideas, particularly repurposing methods that they've been working with to focus on a new area. Going back to the funding that was awarded to the agency to manage all of this, the pandemic response, how has the approach to managing lung issues changed over the last six months? Maybe not just lung issues, but like these big research projects in general. So in some ways, things haven't changed much. You know, we've got tried and true methods for, you know, evaluating research proposals independently, identifying the ones that are most likely to produce results, identifying the high risk, high reward kind of things that need to be funded in a crisis like this. So in many ways, it's business as usual. What I think has shifted is really the speed with which we've been doing this. And we've had tremendous commitment from the research community to work with us to do these evaluations and look at how we can best respond. It's been a challenging time, but I think it's shown us new ways of doing things that we'll be able to continue to apply in the future. In terms of the technology involved with managing an agency as large as NHLBI, are there any technical issues that the agency has been experiencing or any challenges with managing all of this data? You mentioned petabytes of data is stored at NIH, and that's incredible. That's like an incredible amount of data. So I was just wondering if there are any challenges that still remain or are continuous and that the agency is you know, always looking to address or get a little bit more help from. You know, I think over the last, you know, three years of the Biodata Catalyst program, we've learned a lot about how to manage data at scale. Our challenge is now we've got data coming at us very, very quickly and working to get that ingested into the environment and make it available to researchers is challenging. We've got to scale that kind of process further. 
But I want to talk a little bit about the challenges of data from a different perspective, which is the diversity and inclusion factors of data. You know, as you know, I'm sure that many clinical trials have tended to focus on one ethnicity. And it's been a real challenge to ensure that the data we're bringing in doesn't have bias. And so, you know, we've got a variety of studies, whether it's our top med studies, the rural program, which is looking at people in rural America, the Jackson Heart Study when, uh, in African-Americans, Strong Heart in Native Americans. Those are all part of our sort of data ecosystem that is designed specifically to be diverse. And within COVID, we're running uh, for NIH the Community Engagement Alliance Against COVID-19 Disparities, where we're actually working very hard to engage people from across the country of all ethnicities to ensure that the data we gather reflects the American people and that in doing that, we avoid biases. There are genetic differences. There are differences based on where people live, the environments that they live in, that all impact the way that people respond to treatments and the kind of treatments that they really need. And so this Community Engagement Alliance is really focused on outreach and engagement to the ethnic and racial minority communities that are you know, disproportionately impacted by the pandemic. We're working with a group called RTI International in North Carolina. They're a nonprofit research institution, and they're supporting teams in 11 states and are working with Vanderbilt University on a whole variety of different components for this. But it's really designed to reach the people who are being adversely impacted by COVID and ensure that their voices are heard and that their needs are being covered in research. That's amazing. I think that's a really important topic, especially with, you know, everything that's going around right now with the Black Lives Matter movement, um, especially if we're talking about current events. But yeah, it's an incredible effort and very important to address. I would like to talk about, you know, a really important component of the Biodata Catalyst program, and that's the Biodata Catalyst Fellows program. The Fellows program provides early career researchers like graduate students, postdoc fellows, junior faculty and others the opportunity to receive funding from NHLBI to help support their research on novel and innovative data science and data-focused research programs within Biodata Catalyst. And this has brought in a group of people doing research that is often hard to get funded. It's called methods research, where they're really developing new data science methods to analyze this massive amount of data. We've had two cohorts of them now coming through, and we're planning for some more. But they're really bringing some innovation to us, and they're helping us build out Biodata Catalyst. They're helping us find problems with it and bugs, but they're also being ambassadors to their communities to help bring others into it. And our thinking is that our next cohort will likely be focused on uh, COVID-based research or with a significant focus on COVID research. So this is really part of using Biodata Catalyst to bring in the next generation of researchers and help them understand the tools that are available to them in this very data-centric world that we're living in. And as I say, applying that kind of innovation, we think, to COVID is going to generate some really interesting new ideas. Yeah, absolutely. And I know that there's a lot of talent out there all of these students who may be working from home or even at college right now, like they have access to the internet and, and they could probably, you know, help out in ways that, you know, we could have never imagined before, given today's tools and technology. Yeah, obviously all of these fellows are working from home. 
you know, they're not in their labs, their research institutions, they're at home. And so this has proven a, a good way to really leverage this changed workforce that we've got and enable them to continue to pursue research and help us build out Biodata Catalyst into the ecosystem that we really want it to be. Great. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing the progress there and what's next to come out of the agency. So thanks so much, Alistair, for being on the show today with me and sharing this information with us. You're very welcome. I uh, enjoyed being with you. HealthCast is a production of Government CIO Media and Research. For more podcasts, head to governmentciomedia.com slash podcasts. If you liked what you heard, let us know by leaving a review in iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. HealthCast is produced by Amy Kluber, hosted by Melissa Harris, Adam Patterson, and Faith Ryan. If you're interested in sponsoring a podcast, contact us at sponsor at governmentcio.com.